at that time i knew that i needed a critical friend i needed a bonded pair there that i could work in that the individual would not have not carry the same load as i carry um where i could be completely authentic and completely vulnerable with so i recognize that now and the absence of it i believe made that whole journey for me way way more difficult welcome to the connected leadership podcast hosted by andy lapata the show where andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions make leaders jobs easier and help you to progress your career hello and welcome to the connected leadership podcast i'm andy lapata thank you very much for joining me Last year, I think it was around May of last year, I interviewed Nick Johnson uh, uh, for the podcast. Uh, Nick is a Swedish entrepreneur, a businessman uh, who's been based out in Asia for for quite a number of years now. Uh, And Nick spoke very uh, openly, uh, uh, both on the podcast and in his book, Executive Loneliness, on the impact of being an expat leader, on the pressures that it brought to him and the loneliness he felt in that role. And he spoke very transparently about how it impacted his marriage, about how his relationship with alcohol as a crutch uh, became a major issue. Uh, And it was, to my mind, a very important episode of this podcast. And this came up in conversation uh, at a recent podcast recording, not for my podcast, but I was a guest on the panel uh, for uh, a- another podcast where uh, one of my fellow panelists and I got chatting and this topic of executive loneliness uh, came up. Uh, and I invited that person to come on and join me on the podcast to explore it a little bit further. Uh, so my guest is Ray McGrath. Ray was a senior executive for over 25 years in, first of all, the avionics industry and then in the technology sector, uh, going on to lead huge organizations in that sector. And then since 2014, he's had the privilege of coaching senior leaders from across a range of industries and sectors. And and one of the things that came out of my conversation with Ray was that he's come across this issue of loneliness amongst senior executives uh, across the board. And it's not just something that impacts expats, uh, although there are particular issues there, but it's something that can affect a lot of people uh, at, at a senior level. I remember a, a number of years ago, uh, way back uh, when I was running networking groups, and I was at one of our groups in Ryslip. And the focus of our groups was for local businesses to help each other generate business by referral. And one of the uh, members of our Ryslip group was the guy who owned the local Alfa Romeo uh, mechanics uh, service center. And I was running some training on generating referrals. And he said, Andy, I don't need referrals. He said, I I get referrals from Alfa Romeo clubs. I get referrals from Alfa Romeo magazines. So I said, well, why do you come to referrals networking groups? He said, because I have 17 people on my team. And I can't tell them about the challenges I'm facing. I can't talk to them about the the, the business and, and, and the worries of being a business owner. They don't care. They don't want to know. They want to know the business is stable and they're going to get their pay packet at the end of the week or the month. I come here to meet with other people in a similar role and just share those concerns. And that was my first introduction, if you like, my first recognition in my early 30s um, that, 
senior leaders had this issue. And, and it does, as I said, go across all sectors. So I want to explore this a bit further. And to that end, uh, Ray has kindly uh, agreed to join me. So Ray McGrath, thank you very much for joining the Connected Leadership Podcast. You're welcome. It's good to be here. So, so Ray, let's um, let's go to the heart of this now. You know, I've talked about one example of two examples, actually, the Alfa Romeo dealership in Ryslip. I've talked about uh, Nick Johnson in, in the Far East. How big an issue is this, really? Um, and, and how does it normally play out? It's it ebbs and flows when you're a leader. There are times when you feel absolutely connected to your business, to your purpose, connected to your family. And you're in good shape. and. You soon know when you encounter a leader that seems to have good balance. Um, but then there's those moments, those those moments of vulnerability where I'm not, I don't know whether it's loneliness initially, but it's certainly isolation. There's this sense of isolation as a leader. So for many years as an executive, as I've said, I've I felt personally felt this ebb flow. And then I started coaching seriously then i started getting under the skin of all sorts of different leaders whether it's public sector private sector large organizations small organizations um i did a lot of um private work um, as well with all police with some catholic priests and with teachers what you realize once you scratch the surface exactly to your point andy when they get somebody to talk to they really do show that it's a lonely spot up there. And has it, has it manifested itself in a severe way? You know, your question is how big an issue is it? I'm unsure, but my goodness, watching supply chain issues, Ukraine, pandemic, you know, the list goes on. These same people are now being, it's not just ebb and flow, they're constantly being asked for the answers, for the response, for the inspiration. So, yeah, it's a big issue, Andy. Really, really significant. Well, I, I, I want to pick up on something you said there in a moment. So I think that you, you mentioned Catholic priests and teachers, and I think there's there's an interesting thing we can explore there. Before we do, um, let me ask about you and your career. Um, the fact that you've got such an awareness of this um, and you clearly feel very strongly about it and, and strong empathy for, for people in that position would suggest to me that this, is, this was a challenge to you across your own corporate career. So was that the case? And, and if so, how did you experience it and how did you get past it? Oh, for sure. No, no question. So the appetite for leadership me began very early you start to recognize don't you um probably in early stages of your life that not everyone steps forward so when there's a tricky job to do or a tough thing to say and it, it could be right from i don't know, I suppose right back from school that the list of people prepared to just step forward and be seen and be heard is short but it was often me. It was often I was often that person that was prepared to to step forward. So I grew in this appetite for leadership. And I always remember when I first read Peter Drucker's work, and um, I loved this this whole 
concept of being inspirational and being a role model for others. Um, there's this absolutely fantastic um, interview that I listened to only a few weeks ago, actually, with a very senior um, gentleman from the British Army. And he said, you know, as a leader, number one thing, you've got to be, you've got to be a dealer in optimism. And I loved that. And that really resonated with me. I said, yeah, that, that, that's what really got me into from, from going through the avionics industry and then, then getting into IT and technology. I started off as a, as a consultant um, technical, so as a re real techie, uh, and then just, just grew in this appetite for leadership and become a student of leadership. Um, I, I studied um, ethics and uh, business all part time. Uh, whilst I was working. And then you get those moments, Andy, exactly to your question. What are, are there things that perhaps that have happened to me or events that have happened to me? So I was definitely going through a period in my late 20s, early 30s. I was a legend in my own bathroom. You know, I, <laughs> I, I just couldn't get over how amazing I was. Um, and what I'm just about to say now is going to sound extremely dramatic. Um, but it's how I felt. So I went from reading Drucker, being promoted, getting good gigs, being the guy that steps forward, feeling inspirational, being told occasionally that I'm a great role model. And then there are these three statements that I, I would say that came my way at different times. I'm irrelevant. I'm incompetent. And I'm a liar. So it sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? You know, you put you yeah. put those put those three things together, and um, if I may, uh, Andy, I'd, I'd just love to share with you three kind of short stories, if you will, and I'm happy to to kind of stop in between, if you like, and we can we can talk them through. But e each of them brings to life the irrelevant, the incompetence, and the lying. And and my goodness, if you talk about feeling lonely, talk about feeling isolated, and I'll, I'll be as succinct as I can. Firstly, mid-90s, doing a presentation in front of, I don't know, that to be a thousand people in the audience. I was a senior member of the team of the business that I was in at the time. And I was talking about our surge to for customer excellence. And the changes in turn, that are in store for many of the engineers and the technical staff that work for me. It was slightly tricky, the, the presentation, but my goodness me, I'd worked hard on it. I'd received a bit of coaching. Um, if anybody sees me present now, you'll see I never, ever use a bullet point, and that was all started back then. So never use a bullet point, you know, never read the slide. You know, I was really, I was just so delighted with myself and how well I delivered it. And um, I could feel everything kind of building and I could feel my energy growing and I really was on stage. I was well mic'd. It was well lit. These were in the early stages of me sort of really embracing public speaking. I just felt so proud of what I was doing. And at the end, I said, um, are there any questions? And there was a roving mic and I got two questions in total, Andy. The first question was a guy at the back. I didn't recognize him. I said, yeah, what, what's your question? He said, yeah, is this going to affect our overtime? You know, it's just the room was huge. It was well decked out. I'd just given the presentation of my life. 
And I kind of got through that and said, well, okay, so there could be an impact, but you know, we'll talk it through, et cetera, et cetera. And then the best of all is a guy at the front, right at, in the front row, and he put his hand up. I did recognize him. Let's call him John for now. I said, so John, what, what's on your mind? And he stood up. I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be quite, quite the question. And instead of looking me at me, he then looked back to the room and said, if there's anybody driving towards the station, I could do with a lift. Wow. Yeah. So there's a, there I was being so delighted with myself and had worked so hard to this presentation. And bear in mind, my CEO and my fellow board members were absolutely rooting for me. A senior management team were rooting for me. And, uh, oh, I never felt so isolated. Never felt so lonely in that moment. And of course, there's, you know, in that moment, there's kind of sniggering in the, in the crowd. And I got through it. You know, I did sleep that night. We, we were fine. But there's that question. I am irrelevant. In, in that moment, you, you, you've reached a very senior role, uh, senior position in important business doing important work. And that's the best they could come up with. And there's that word, they. Like in that moment, I became the victim. You know, this is, this is what they are doing to me. Now, of course, in, I reflected on that just as a side note. Um, I didn't meet them where they're at. I tap danced on a stage and did razzmatazz on these exciting changes. And I, I, I hadn't really understood my audience. So that was, a, was kind of a, a great lesson for me, but certainly an injection of loneliness, Andy. So, so like I say, that's the first really bold statement I would make. I am irrelevant. And I thought that was a great example. I'm, you know, Love to just do the, the other two stories are much shorter and much more succinct, but I'll, I'll pause there for a moment. Well, yeah, let's, let's just just explore that a little bit because uh, there's that that actually strikes up a very vivid image in the mind's eye um, of isolation. As it gives us a visual metaphor of isolation, you on the stage on your own, having put your heart and soul into uh, everything. And this this large audience of the people who work for you, and a gap between you, a physical gap as well as uh, a spiritual gap, if you like. Um, I, I think that there are so many levels to this, and I have to be careful to explore what's relevant to this topic rather than um, others, because. As the Connected Leadership Podcast, I think there's a lot to explore about what you learn about your management style, uh, and you've touched on it at the end of your answer there in terms of you were giving the razzmatazz, but you weren't meeting them where they were. Um, so I think there's a lot to explore, and, and perhaps there's an argument that if you take, uh, and, and this isn't me critiquing your management style because I have no experience of it, I'm just going on what you've shared there, um, but if, if you have a Connected Leader who is in tune with their team, in tune with with, with their organisation, and and it's not high. Uh, it doesn't feel hierarchical. It, it feels like one team. Then that isolation may well be less vivid, um, uh, and you're less likely to find that situation occur. Um, so there's that element. But I, I actually I want to just focus in on that um, that that metaphor that you've created, that visual metaphor 
um, of isolation as a leader um, and how it feels. And for people listening to this, I think that just putting myself in your shoes at that moment, you get um, a real gut feeling, literal gut feeling about what loneliness as a leader can feel like. Um, you, you say that you were okay at the end of the day and you, you slept that night. Um, how did you deal with that? How did your fellow board members deal with it? Uh, how did you engage with people uh, who were in that audience afterwards? Did Was it the elephant in the room that no one mentioned or did you laugh it off genuinely? Did you put on a mask? Um, and and uh, how did you deal with John? <laughs> uh-huh. I, I, I tend to use humour a lot, Andy. It's uh, absolutely central to my um, to my being. Really, I really enjoy humour, and uh, and will shape it into all sorts of situations. And uh, managed in that very specific situation, um, I, I said something like, "I said, well." Okay, that that's really that's really done a lot for my self-esteem in this moment, or something like that. And then the, there was the much bigger laugh then, because there was there was a genuine awkwardness, and it is important to take perspective in that moment. It's a very big room, a very big crowd. I mean, honestly, who is going to ask a tricky question or an important question? Just you can tell it was back in the day a little bit, because I would suggest we're all a little more insightful now and we use technology and there's there's ways and means um so it was definitely humor at the time quickly followed by and the reason why i slept uh, that night utter belligerence absolute belligerence and um well that's their problem they're morons honestly i mean it, it was it was it was it was a moment of profound naivety on my part just during that short period, just for a few hours, of believing that I don't know whether I even said the word, but we've heard it so many times. Of it, they just don't get it. That's the, that's their problem. They just don't get it. Um, a really close colleague is actually the CTO, um, called Rob. Um, he was a great counsel for me. Um, just got me a cup of coffee the following morning sat down and he helped me with perspective and and the perspective was of course that a vast majority of the people um, in the crowd it actually was received um, uh, very well and he had anecdotal and written feedback that they were pleased that certain changes were being made and uh, he complimented me on you know that was good you know you used humor ray that was that was helpful but the conversation that followed, that wasn't you, you know, and he 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 gave me really wise counsel as, as I was in my belligerent mode. And um, it became such an important part of, of my development. And it made me also realize that, yes, I did feel incredibly isolated in that moment and continued to feel somewhat isolated and lonely when amongst certain groups that worked for me and with me but i did have a partner as part of the human condition isn't it pair bonding and i realized at that point that my closeness with rob as a fellow board member was was beyond any other closeness that i had with any other board member and it it really came home 
the manner in which we did exchange ideas, thoughts, feelings, vulnerabilities, blind spots, biases. And because his is different, because he, he was so different to me, um, it just helped enormous and enormously, Andy. I, I'm not sure if anybody is truly a lonely leader out there, whether they can seek much solace from what I've just described, because maybe they don't have their Rob. Um, uh, but suffice to say, uh, I did. I was fortunate to have that, and it bonded us even closer, and we remain good friends now. How did I deal with John? Rob dealt with him. <laughs> That's I'm being a bit facetious, but uh, yeah, that was probably not far off. Good, good delegation. Um, can I just go back to what you just said about it helped that Rob was very different to you? Why? It, it's it's the it goes to the fundamentals of partnership. We can't help but have our biases and our blind spots. That's what makes us human. And, and let's just go down to the fundamentals of loneliness just for a moment. Loneliness is is often the unwanted absence of social connectedness. Like, you know, if you want it because you just want you want to be alone. Well, that's fine. And I, I often want to be alone. It's brilliant for thinking and and it's for meditation and, 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 and so on. But when it's unwanted, when it's undesired, it, it, it is true loneliness because you, you lack that connectedness. Partnership counters that, whether it's your partner in, in life, whether it's friends, whether it's colleagues, it keeps you sane. That partnership tells you that your jokes are not funny, or that you need to perhaps change your shirt, or you you there was a misstep in the boardroom, and you you could have dealt with that differently. It, and like I say, it's your biases and blind spots where they can even just with a look or just a word, and you say, "Really, Ray? Is is that really the case?" Partnership gives you perspective. It makes it sound like I'm trying to do some sort of marketing soundbite there. I'm I'm not. It, it it it's it's what it's what it's offered me. So that that's what I would that's the color I would I would add to that really. And that's what Rob and so many others I've worked with over the years have given me. They've given me perspective and they've countered my biases and my blind spots. Andy's new book, Just Ask, Why Seeking Support is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, it is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now, or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. Regular listeners to the podcast, by the way, will know what I'm getting at here because I talk about cognitive diversity a lot and the importance of having people who have a different perspective to you and, and yeah. think differently to you. And, and that's what you feel Rob brings to you and your friendship and, and brought you in that business. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's, let's go back to your, your other two stories. There's, there's a lot more I could unpack because yeah, it's a fan sure. fantastic story, but let's go to, to the oh, other no. two you wanted to share. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, I tell you how incompetent I am. <laughs> um, Early 90s to mid 90s uh, was part of um, 
you know, the absolute wave of, um, it wasn't hedonistic, but but it was a very, very exciting period in technology. There was a lot of people making a lot of, any in inverted commas, money. I'm not sure whether they were really making money, but there was certainly on paper, there was a lot of very exciting things uh, going on. Um, I was part of a business where we, I was one of the officers of the company. We wrote our perspective, uh, perspective, sorry, uh, we floated on NASDAQ on the stock exchange. And um, incredibly exciting. And overnight, there were a number of millionaires, paper millionaires, as, as it were, made um, overnight. Um, terrific business, and I still stand by it. And anybody listening to this podcast now will kn- will know the business that I'm referring to. And we're all very proud of, of what we had achieved uh, during that time. However, as we hurtled towards the late 90s, um, it was most uh, inconvenient because then analysts and investors, stakeholders, interested parties started to ask us the dreaded word of whether we were actually going to make some money, which, as you can imagine, was really inconvenient because we <laughs> we were um, absolutely stellar at spending money. Now, I'm being facetious here, but uh, and maybe those that were not part of this wave wouldn't completely appreciate what I've just described, but it really was expected that you spent money. Like like it really was. You acquired businesses, you acquired companies, you acquired customers. Um, You made deals that you lost on, on paper, but it gave you perhaps a tale of recurring revenue that was really exciting and, and so on. So, um, there, there, obviously, it did go. It did go rather too far, um, and that's why the whole industry, you know, struggled. And then, and then there was a hang-up in the '90s as well. But either way, we found ourselves in a very difficult spot, and ultimately got delisted on the stock exchange. There were 14 executives in uh, in the business at the time. Um, we were asset stripped, and 12 of the executives were asked to leave the business and it just left uh, myself and uh, uh, another very highly trusted colleague to effectively run run this business. Um, I had to give the most difficult presentation of my life a couple of months after that had happened where I announced that we had run out of money and we couldn't meet payroll. So I think in that, just in that room alone, there had to be maybe 60 or 70 people, people that had been part of the wave, part of the journey. Um, and I had often been in front of them in trying to inspire them and excite them and say, we've got a new product or we've got a new partner or we've just made an acquisition and it's really exciting. And I'd given some tough news previously about being delisted and, you know, and I'd say we were asset stripped. I'm making it all sound very aggressive. Actually, the people that that were coming in for us were, were very ethical and they were t- terrific business on from the East Coast of, of the U.S., but just prior, the fact I'm just getting my timing wrong, just prior to that, we had run out of money. So I was asking people to give us, um, I think it was about seven days before we found the money to meet payroll. Oh, no, 
never felt so incompetent in all my life as a, as a leader of a business. And we were well beyond whether it was somebody's fault or you, you know, like you, you, you just look at the mirror and you look at the people around you, you think, come on, you've been given the responsibility to, to run this business. Um, financial competence and acumen has to be the foundation to all that you do. We've got to pay the bills. We, we, we can't make excuses for just not paying the bills and not paying the tax man or whoever it is. It's, but by the way, it's made me so acutely aware of financial competence. And it's an, it was an incredibly valuable lesson. But my goodness me, in that moment, those faces, I, I just, I've just felt utterly isolated, utterly lonely and completely incompetent. Um, without anybody saying it. And I can share with you that that weekend, so it was on a kind of a Thursday, I think it was. And on the Friday, I broke down. It was a lunchtime. I broke down. My friend wheeled me out of the, the, the building, as it were, and I got home. Felt okay on the Saturday. And on the Sunday, I had my first ever anxiety attack. I'd, I'd never had one of those. I, I didn't. So, of course, be, for anyone that's listening to this, if you've never had one, you definitely think you're going to die. There's no question. You think you think this is it. No, nobody had ever described to me what an anxiety attack was. Full on, couldn't catch my breath. Um, just a slight funny story that when the doctor was called out, <laughs> he, he came into the bedroom and I, you know, I really I was full of drama and I was definitely going to die. And he said, you know, just blow into this bag and. He just talked gently to me, and then I was fine. And he just looked over at my wife and said, "Yeah, it's um, very common in teenage girls." <laughs> and, <laughs> that, that must have made you feel better. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, that just added to the whole incompetence thing. That was yeah. that. That was actually okay. That from a humour perspective, that yeah. was actually, that was actually all right. So, you know, Andy, I don't, I don't know whether you, you know you wanted to comment on that, but believe me, of of um. Like I say, of all the presentations I've ever given, of all those public settings that I've been in, just to feel that incompetent, um, and then and that was then in service of an, such an acute sense of loneliness. Uh, yeah, that's a very visceral kind of experience for me. And and, and th that story's got a lot in common with the previous story in the sense of. A lot of the drama revolving around a presentation to, to start, That's true. But, That's true. but but where the difference comes is that the the issue you were presenting uh, is really where the heart of the challenge was, and that's something that is prevalent whether you're delivering a presentation to the whole company or you're walking through the corridors or in the lift For and sure. you speak to one person. So, how did you feel around that time? when you you were in a position where you needed to engage with people on the team at all levels not just board colleagues um and how open you were able to be with them how much of a a mask you needed to put on for them particularly after the presentation and, and were they aware of your breakdown yeah they, they were um 24 hours later a number of people were but let's face it you only need one or two people to be aware of it and then you've got yeah. a few hundred people that are aware of it yeah um, so, um, I, d I don't know how to put this. I was probably given a bit of an easy ride, you know, on that, in, in that sense, because we were all in it, um, together. Um, it was also known that myself and the other executive had, had taken a 
pretty healthy haircut on our you know on our salaries and, and various other things and I'm, I'm definitely not making myself acting remotely as any kind of martyr but there were there was enough i believe anyway there was enough authenticity and ethical conduct to allow myself and my my close colleague to to deal with the sense of isolation and loneliness because there were it was remarkable in fact how many rallied around and said well we'll we'll stand with you on this i mean there were a number that felt really let down and somewhat betrayed uh, and they they quick a number of them quickly left as well um but sure, you, you, I, I'm not sure I'm completely answering your questions. It was a very, very difficult time, but I, and I didn't get a free pass, but I, I certainly had a lot of understanding and support. And I would like to think that it was my willingness to tell the truth and to be completely honest. Um, finally, because that, by the way, is linked to my last point, I am a liar. Um, finally, I could be completely authentic. So, and I do wonder sometimes whether that mini breakdown was somewhat associated with the mask that I had worn for really quite some time. That's the problem with being a leader, you know. Yeah, you're an actor. You you have to adopt the role of being an actor. You're constantly on show as an actor. It's a lonely. It can be a really lonely place. So, yeah, that would be how I would respond to that, Andy, I'd say. Well, well let's dig into that because uh, we, we were chatting um, before we started recording and you said something interesting to me. And again, people who know my work will know how, um, how I would respond to this. But you were saying that it, it's very difficult or a leader can't be vulnerable. Um, and it, and you, you, you'd mentioned to me about leaders being actors and wearing masks. Now, for those that haven't listened to a lot of the podcasts or don't know my work in depth i've written a book on vulnerability and i have a talk coming up um uh, at the end of uh, september on vulnerable leadership and the sort of things you're talking about is what i talk about and and the wearing of a mask and one of the points in that talk is you can't get to connect with a human being through a mask. And, and actually, uh, the morning we're recording this, I've been working on the slides of that presentation, and my core graphic is a cracked mask, funnily enough. Um, so I want to go into that a bit deeper because here's my pushback to you, and I get that we need to act, and I get that we can't tell everybody everything all of the time, and that is where a lot of this acting will come into play, where we do need to wear a mask. It is an important part of leadership, and um, where that loneliness can certainly kick in. But the story you've just shared, what jumped out of it for me is when you said, Everybody knew that you'd had the breakdown and they knew that you'd taken a haircut on, on, on everything that happened. And you got a relatively easy ride as a result of that. Now, in, in my talk, I, I talk about traditionally we want as leaders to be seen, to, to be strong and be seen to be strong. And we, we equate that with not being vulnerable, not showing weakness. Um, and there's a Harvard Business School study that I, I, I talk about in Just Ask, uh, and I interview one of the, the, the uh, people behind it, one of the researchers, uh, where they looked at the impact of sharing failure 
on the way people respond to stories of success. And they found that one of the um, one of the ex- experiments as part of the research was a Dragon's Den style competition, pitching competition, and they explored one scenario where a business leader pitched their business and solely talked about success of that business and how great it was and what an opportunity it is. And in the other scenario, they, they gave the same pitch, but they shared their failures along the way. And in both scenarios, they explored two types of envy, benign envy, I want to be like you, or malignant or malicious envy, I want you to fail. And they found that where people solely talked about their successes, malicious envy was high. Where they talked about the same successes, but with their failures along the way, benign envy was high. Uh, So my argument is that if you open up more, if you share more of what's going on, if you admit you don't know it all, as you found, you get the easier ride. People will go along with you, uh, with you a little bit more. Uh, how does that land for you? Well, the first thing I would say is a question of timing. So here's the thing. <clears throat> I did that presentation during and after, and everything that really followed that was an open book completely transparent, um, totally authentic. I I had displayed my vulnerability, as it were, as did so many others that followed on, and we were better for it. And, um, you know, certainly as a human being, it's it's been a really important aspect of my, of my journey. But what about prior to that? What about when we were trying to get funding? And we were attempting to get a new buyer. And all of the uh, the trips, I made trips to the US, some of them were disastrous. Some of them went very well. Um, the late nights in rooms where we discussed and planned the significant reduction of staff, the selling of certain assets, and this is a direct lead into that third, that third statement, I am a liar. Because throughout that whole period, which let's be clear, Andy, was a lot longer than the first, you know, the previous story. Yeah. You know, there's a big difference between a few months where I'm completely authentic and open and everybody knows, and the, I don't know, what was it, probably a year building up to that. Um, what's our bank account look like, Ray? You know, what, what's so have we got cash in the bank because I've just looked at the figures and it looks like we're in a spot now we remember I'm a leader I've got to be a dealer in optimism and so you know do I you know do I really open myself up do I be vulnerable and say oh, I'm really concerned and I appreciate Andy you, you that's not what you're saying I'm I guess I'm I'm, I'm laying on the point a bit, a bit thick but it was countless moments not just with those that are perhaps new to the business or young and um, uh, uh, just finding their way, but also senior managers, uh, which you, you, you're anxious for them to stay motivated, to stay connected. And the mask is important. Like it's really important. It's, it is important to be optimistic. And, I, and that's not the same as delusional. Genuinely optimistic about, for example, 
the market opportunity, or perhaps you, you, you can go into detail about what is the, what is our addressable market? How well equipped are we to meet that market need? What are the I don't know what are the deals in the pipeline that really emphasise that? Um, but then the questions change. So, are we going to run out of money? Will there be any redundancies? I'm thinking of buying a house. We're just about to close on that house. It would be really helpful, Ray, if you could just let me know whether you think I should just pause. So in those moments, Andy, mask well and truly on. Actor mode well and truly in place. Not because I want to be deceitful or, or I believe it's important to lie. You know, I'm not, not going there at all. But you're given the responsibility to lead and to be a role model. And for that sense of optimism and can do to propagate through the organization. And I lost count of the amount of times where I think, wow, I'm so glad I didn't share that. That bit of bad news I picked up the night before, because certainly 24 hours later, it's completely different. Imagine what it must be like in politics, just as a side comment, where you, <laughs> all your dirty laundry gets gets aired every 24 hours. Anyway, yeah. um, so that's a situation where I would have benefited enormously from a critical friend, almost certainly outside of the business. Now, this all sounds like me making a pitch for, you know, everybody should go out and get a coach or get a consultant or whatever. This It's your decision, however people wish to do this. Maybe you don't need a coach. You just need a good partner or I, I, I don't know. But, but either way, at that time, I knew that I needed a critical friend. I needed a bonded pair there that I could work in that the individual would not have not carry the same load as I carry. Um, where I could be completely authentic and completely vulnerable with. So I recognize that now and the absence of it, I believe, made that whole journey for me way, way more difficult. And certainly now I have a, a, a set number of, of trusted, critical friends that I, that I go to. There's just two or three of them that are, like I say, that they're, they're, they're my, they know my biases, they know my blind spots, that they're the people that I can talk to. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm being, I'm in deep reflective mode now as I'm thinking about this, Andy, but, but yeah, that would be my, not, not necessarily a counter to your point about, you know, the need to be vulnerable and vulnerable leadership and perhaps why the mask is good or it's good. I think it's, timing and it's perspective and it's positional and sorry it's situational is that uh, fair or it's, it's absolutely fair and, and i think that it, it it goes to a lot of what i say is that we tend to treat things as binary and life isn't binary it's more nuanced than that and i think you make a very strong argument for when you do need that mask um my concern is when people, you talk about leaders being actors, when people almost wear the mask by default because I have to be seen as strong and not allowing the mask to slip to allow the human being to come through. 
sometimes, as you experienced uh, uh, a couple of times in the stories you shared, um, you let that mask slip to everyone. Other times, you know that you can turn in a different direction and not wear the mask, and that's where your critical friends come in. Uh, but I, I, I guess related to that, and and uh, my last question to you on this is is looking at you as uh, as an individual and your well-being. You talked about the anxiety attack that you had. I think that there's a real danger that when you do get lonely as a leader, and this goes back to Nick's story and what Nick shared with me last year and in his book, um, when you do go to that that place of feeling isolated, feeling lonely, feeling there's no one you can talk to, the pressure builds. And at the beginning, you mentioned, and, and I, you know, I always try and, if I say I want to come back to something, I always try and come back to it. You mentioned Catholic priests, which I thought was really yeah. interesting, uh, because the, the image that came to my mind there is here you have uh, someone in a role who takes confession. So they're taking on all of these confessions, all of this outpouring, all this of this toxicity from their um, their flock. I was trying to think of the right word there. I was going to say constituents. I knew that was wrong. Let's mm. let's go with flock. Um, but they're taking all of this on board, and that's got to have an effect. Uh, as a coach, you must have you'll need to have an outlet for the stress that your clients pour out to you. I'm sure um, teachers you mentioned as well in, in that answer at the beginning would be the same. I remember being in Iran uh, on a speaking tour a, a number of years ago. And one of my fellow speakers said, you know, you have a society there where a lot of expression is is uh, not acceptable in public life, uh, particularly for women, uh, but generally as well, but particularly for women. And he said, what you'll find is it comes out in other ways. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't want to go into detail here about how it <laughs> comes out, but it does. Um, and, and behind closed doors, you, you, you get a different sense of, of the Iranian people than you would if you were in the market square, for example. Um, and they compared it to squeezing a balloon. And if you squeeze in the middle of the balloon, that air that's trapped inside has to displace and come out somewhere else. So my last question to you is, as you were going through these scenarios, you mentioned the anxiety attack and you, you briefly mentioned your wife. What impact does it have on your home life? What impact does it have on Ray McGrath when he goes away from being the corporate leader and goes to being the, the husband and father? Um, how did that play out? Did that lead to any issues? And how did you deal with those? Yeah, back then, um, there was a definitely entered a, an extended period of um, really high levels of impatience and intolerance. Um, that what what evolved then was this angular, spiky character, which I, you know, there were times I just didn't even recognise. Um, I am blessed, however, with my wife in particular. At the moment, any moment, I just get slightly ahead of myself or even just remotely um, too full of myself. Um, my wife is just really skilled at ensuring that I stay grounded and I don't forget where I've come from. And we're both from very humble working class kind of backgrounds and uh, very, very ordinary education, um, kind of 
classic large Irish Catholic families. And I don't know, there, there's a certain sort of background that we had that you almost have this reference point that, you know, let's not let's not forget Ray and let's just not forget where, where you're from and what it's like to be a human being, um, the importance of kindness and you know, the list the list goes on of the fundamental uh, the fundamentals of good human nature. Uh, but it absolutely impacted me and it impacted me as a father in particular. So um, as a dad, I absolutely, I lost my temper a lot. Um, I mean, never, you know, please, this is not the sort of thing that's going to end up on, you know, crime watch or whatever, you know, it's it's just just being short tempered and, and, and being spiky and, and, and difficult. Uh, and as I grew to understand my role as a leader, to read more, to listen more, um, to spend a bit more time with my wife and listen to, to her a bit more. Um, it just, all these things helped enormously. And, and I would say as, as we come towards the logical concluding point of this, this, this particular discussion, there's, there's definitely um, a course that I've taken, particularly in the last 20 years, which is instrumental in the way in which I've dealt with all of my clients and the leadership teams that I've worked on. And it begins with perspective. I've mentioned that a few times now. And you get perspective from fact and truth. So, so often when you get emotional or you feel lonely or then you get angry and you're impacting others and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you can often lack perspective and not truly understand fact. So actually in my work and at home, I constantly try to establish what is true. What, what is it that I can establish is true here? And I, I, I'm not sure whether this is too extended or too far away from this subject of loneliness and lonely leaders, because it, it must almost seem almost academic or um, too objective to, to conclude with this. But it's been my savior. It's been my absolute savior to take a breath and establish what is true. Now, clearly, to uh, to understand absolute truth, you could do an whole whole podcast, do an abs absolute book on that. I'm sure um, it is is bordering on impossible. But your energy and your preparedness to find truth and to find fact—that's what saves you. I just I absolutely loved Hans Roslin's book, Factfulness. It, it kind of put me in my place of what I think is going on in the world. And, and I could not recommend that enough. Where it talks, it, it talks in great factual detail about what is truly going on with our battles against diseases, against poverty, around climate change and so on. And, I, and I'm sure there's you know, lots of political points that could be made within that. So couple that with another seminal piece of work by Viktor Frankl, which is Man's Search for Meaning, yeah. which I would I would say has to be a place where pretty much any human being should should go to. He has this 
this wonderful statement, everything could be taken from us except one thing, the freedom to choose our attitude in any given set of circumstances. So for me, this combination of factfulness and choice of attitude has, has fundamentally changed the way in which I deal with any sense of isolation or loneliness, and in turn, how I coach, how I try and be the best dad that I can. Um, and hey, I'm failing all the time. And, it, it, you know, there are constant, relentless moments where, you know, I need to to be better, but I don't beat myself up about out it. it. It's all part of that journey. But those, those would be probably be the two, the whole spirit for me, Andy, on how I, I deal with that sense of isolation and loneliness. I, I don't know, does that... Does that stack up for you? It, it, it absolutely does stack up. I've I've heard people talk about this this concept of if you're in that stressful, that difficult situation, take a step back and understand what exactly is happening there, which is how I interpret what you're talking about in, in terms of the search for facts and search for truth. I think what ties in with that is that critical friend that you talked about because I think it's very difficult for us to find the truth for ourselves because we have blind spots. So for me, you combat loneliness by having those critical friends, whether it's a coach, a mentor, a mastermind group, or it's less formal than that. But you have those people around you who will both respond when you reach out or reach out when you don't and you, and they can see you need to. Um, and, and that obviously ties in with what I, I, I preach anyway um uh so yeah absolutely it stacks up and i think that you say is this too far from this topic well you brought it round exactly where i was going to when you said that by saying this is how i cope with loneliness and uh we don't just want to talk about the problem being out there we want to help people find the solutions to it as well uh so ray uh i, th I think that was very insightful uh I didn't know what to expect from this conversation, I'll be honest. We sort of had a brief chat and we went, let's do this. Um, and um, just as an aside, uh, you know, I, I, as a speaker, I know the power of stories. And I, I, I would have said in my email to you beforehand, people like stories. And your three stories, I think, brought the whole topic to life in a way that a general theoretical chat just can't do. Um, so thank you for opening up and sharing with us. Um, and not bottling it up because I think that will help a lot of people and make them feel a lot less lonely uh, because that's the other key thing is knowing other people have been there and we're not alone in our experiences. So, Ray, thank you very much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. My pleasure. I've really enjoyed it, Andy. Thank you. Uh, so, so thank you so much to Ray. Uh, I think I've I've done my summary there in, in chatting back to, to Ray at the end, but th there was a lot to take, take from that. Um, I think it's a really interesting discussion about the leader as the dealer in optimism that, that Ray talked about and the need to be an actor and to wear that mask at appropriate times and having some respite from that, um, both removing the mask for the people you're leading so that they can engage with the true you, but timing, as Ray said, is key in that, but also having a safe place to remove it. Um, with people who can alleviate that burden. So you're not squeezing that balloon, but you're letting the air out in, in, in a safe environment. Um, 
you can hear Ray and I chatting again on the Company Doctor podcast. I don't have a, uh, at the time this comes out, I don't know whether or not it's been published yet, but if you look up the Company Doctor podcast, uh, we were part of a, a live panel debate on home working and the future of home working or remote working, which is where Ray and I met. So uh, do look out for that. I will be sharing that on social media and in my newsletter connecting is not enough as well on that topic i rarely talk about the newsletter uh, on the podcast if you go to my website andylaparta.com uh, and you scroll to the bottom of the home page you can subscribe to a three weekly newsletter which includes tips and, and hints on building professional relationships the highlights of the podcast for the previous three weeks the latest psychology today blog uh, that i've written Uh, and a bit of fun as well so check that out Uh, as always if you've enjoyed this please share it rate it review it if you haven't enjoyed it don't tell anyone at all um, but tell me so that i know uh, but i'm sure you have Uh, and i will see you again soon on the connected leadership podcast thank you for listening to the connected leadership podcast if you found this valuable please subscribe Tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.